Hello, this is Kim. Hi, Kim. This is Matthew Mayer. How are you? Doing great. You are listening to SoloPiano.com's <laughs> official podcast, Going Solo. This is Matthew Mayer. Thanks for joining us on episode two. Today, we are going to hear a pretty amazing story from an amazing guy, Kim Deardorff, Kauai piano artist. And as you listen to his story, I just want you to kind of reflect on your own past and where you are today. If you've ever looked to your past as a barrier or an excuse of why you are not going towards your creative venture, listen to this interview, listen to Kim's story. I think you'll connect with him in some way. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you at solopiano.com. I have to tell you, Kim, when I first read your story online, absolutely stopped me in my tracks, but since then I've been excited to get a hold of you. And one of the things, to tell you the truth, that I struggled with in preparation for our time was, you know, typically when when I interview somebody, it's this format of, oh, hey, you know, tell us, tell us where you're from, you know, what did you do and how did you get to where you are today? And with your story, there wasn't really a warm introduction for me to kick that off. And I think that's what's so powerful. So knowing that my words can't do it justice, again, welcome. And and will you just kick us off to tell us about Kim? Uh, Well, sure, uh, Matthew. I I certainly appreciate you uh, including me. I believe that God has given me a powerful testimony to his grace. To start from the beginning, I, I I was found in the garbage in uh, Seoul, South Korea in 1964, and it was uh, literally towards the beginning of international adoption. There was a family from Oregon, Oregon, that felt like that God was calling them into adoption ministry, and they moved the entire family to uh, South Korea and opened up an orphanage there. And I was one of the first um, first babies that were uh, brought to the orphanage. They literally, at that point, when you say you were one of the first babies brought to that orphanage, they literally found you in the garbage. Yeah, somebody found me in the garbage, and they took me to this orphanage. I guess they had heard about the orphanage. Wow. And um, they, t- they took me to the orphanage. And uh, interesting enough, one of the major news organizations was so inspired by what the whole family was doing that they took a news crew over to Korea to document Harry Holt and his, uh, and his orphanage. And while they were shooting the film about his life, um, he dies that week oh of gosh. a heart attack. And so we're one of the last people to actually ever be with him or see him alive. And we're in this little documentary film uh, at his funeral. Now, over 50 years later, uh, this adoption agency is the largest international adoption agency in the world. And they've adopted over, I think, about 40 to 50,000 children. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, it's an incredible story. So I had somewhat of a uh, humble start in life. I got adopted by family, uh, a couple uh, of people from Michigan. And from a very early age, I always felt a strong power, the strong power of God's hand over my life, uh, knowing that I'd been found in the garbage. For some strange reason, I had this over- overwhelming feeling that, that God had a purpose for my life. You know, I grew up in a home that we went to church. I was exposed and introduced to Christianity and, and to the love of Christ. And, but it really wasn't until I moved away from home 
uh, I was about 20 years old and I was in college and I was on my own and I was making my own decisions and, you know, I was having to decide, you know, one way or the other, uh, which direction my life was going to go. And I just felt like the, the power of the Holy Spirit just came into my life and transformed my heart. And when I say that I've been saved twice, you know, the first time is in, in my human, you know, um, as a human being, I was saved uh, and given another chance at life. The second time I was saved was, you know, by the, by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, mm. I was saved into, into the family of God, and, and I was adopted into His family. So actually, I've, I've been adopted twice, and both are extremely significant, but the second one is, you know, ultimately the most significant. One of the things that just I admire so much about you to to have a beginning like that and then to give praises outside of that situation is not something you typically hear in this day and age, and it's not something you typically hear every day. Seeing, you know, I, I look at the list of, of places, you know, you've toured with Toby Mac, Brandon Heath. You've I, I wrote down some companies that you've worked with, including Walt Disney, Discovery Channel, ABC. You're a Kauai piano artist. With your work now that you've done, and specifically piano, when did you when did you start piano, and um, what do you believe uh, made you gravitate towards that instrument? Um, well, you know, I grew, I grew up out in the middle of virtually nowhere in Michigan. I mean, it was out in the middle of. I mean, we grew up in a. I grew up in a really small town. I went to a school in a town of three hundred. So I, you know, I I kind of grew up a little bit isolated from other people and. Um, we had an old upright piano in our house that my mom had gotten and she, she, she kind of liked music. Um, you know, so she, she bought this piano and, uh, it was never ever in tune. The piano was just, it was probably <laughs> from, from the 1900s and it was impossibly, you know, out of tune. Um, I mean, we, we tried to have it tuned a, a few times, but, um, it was just in, in not very good condition. And for some reason, I I grew up with a with a extremely limited um, uh, exposure to music. We had maybe ten or fifteen records at the house, and most of the records were um, were like hymn uh, in nature. I mean, they were religious records, and and they were like uh, songs from the hymnal. And my mom tells me that at the, at the age of three, I would go to the piano and I would be picking out melodies off the records. Oh wow! Um, I think early on, you know, since I was isolated, we didn't grow up with you know radio and TV, and um, of course no internet and you know uh, video games or any of that kind of thing. Um, I didn't really gravitate towards reading, but when I when I first started playing the piano, when I would hit the notes on the piano, I remember as a young child. I would hit the notes and I'd hear them ring. I'd hear the strings vibrate, and I would just feel um, the emotion of that of that sound, and it just transformed me into another another place. Um, I kind of grew up in a in a home life that was a little bit um, volatile from time to time, and uh, for some reason, music just really um, brought me into a place of peace. And um, I just remember, um, like I said, hitting those notes and just letting them ring, and they just—it was magical. I was—I was hooked. I couldn't—I couldn't stop, you know, playing the piano. I played the piano all the time. I tried to learn, you know, songs off records, and um, 
Um, my mom even got tried to get me uh, get me into piano lessons for one year, but uh, it was this older gentleman who's like in his 80s, and and I was four years old, and it it, it just didn't work out. And so um, I I would have rather tried to uh, play songs that I enjoyed anyway. And so for many years, I just kind of struggled along, um, you know, trying to learn music uh, by ear. And so did you, um, it was that the majority of your education was self-taught and playing by ear and listening to those records in your house and, and going over to that upright? Yeah, that's the majority of my learning. I mean, I did, I did make it through uh, John Thompson book one about three times. <laughs> and then, and then uh, we got the book too, and I just kind of gave up on on the books. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty much, you know, learning learning songs off records. Um, my bedroom is, was in the very end of the house, and um, it wasn't a very large place. But I convinced my mom to let me uh, drag the piano back there, oh, and wow. so I basically had a I had the piano, I had the big upright piano, and I had my bed. And I had probably three or four feet of walking space in my bedroom, but it didn't matter because I, I was happy. I could pretty much, you know, reach the piano at any time. Oh, my God. Well, when you're talking about those strings vibrating like that and you getting, you know, that feeling and that excitement, um, do you still get that today? Oh, absolutely. I it, It's something that, that speaks to my heart in, in a in a way that uh, that few things do um it's a it's a very emotional thing for me and um you know there's been periods in my life when i thought well maybe i could just walk away from playing music or try something out and, and i can't i can never leave it it's it, it has it's never lost it's um it's a it's beauty or it's an imagine it's an imagination um, for me, um, it's just, it's just never lost its, um, its, um, inspiration to my heart. Um, I love, I love it. I love the piano. You mentioned that sometimes growing up, it, it could be a bit volatile in your home. Did you turn, was the piano an escape, so to speak? that was what you turned to when things might seem a little chaotic or you had questions about life in general? Was was that your medium in which to do your own discovery? Yeah, I would definitely say that it was my sanctuary. It was the place that I, I would go to first to find comfort, to find peace, to, mm-hmm. to escape, you know, all the, all the external um, uh, craziness that was going on. Um, you know, if I would go to somebody's house or go to another church or go to another building, if it had a piano in it, I would go to the piano and I'd be there till the time we got there until the time we left. <laughs> Pretty much, it was it was the place where I truly felt uh, something special, something like I said, peace and comfort. I truly believe a connection with God because I, I believe that God uh, put that in my heart and gave me a passion for it, and in some way allowed me to have more of a connection and a communication with Him. Mm. I often tell people the greatest blessing in my life is knowing that I was uh, found in the garbage and that I will never be in, a, a, in another point in my life where I'll be that vulnerable 
where I have no ability to help myself in any way possible, but that God chose to uh, save me out of that situation. What would you say, Kim, to, to those that, that have grown up in an unstable environment or a volatile environment, as, as you mentioned, or those that grow up and, and look to the past as somewhat of a crutch? towards their creative pursuits or towards their dreams and goals, what would be your message to them? Um, never give up. Always listen to your heart. Always believe in what God has purposed for your life. There were plenty of times in my life I could have given up or, or gone a different direction. And I think uh, one thing that I would say is to trust what God has, has put in your heart and just to be true to that. I, I read on an interview, I've got, I've got notes here sprawling throughout my desk with so many great nuggets of, and words of encouragement that you've given to others. And, and one of the things that you say is, it doesn't matter where or how you start out in life, God has a purpose and plan for everyone. Yeah, that's right. It's really kind of, it's really the kind of the secret to life in a lot of ways. It, it's somewhat sometimes the most hard, the hardest thing to to believe that God would have a purpose for your life when you feel like um, everything is against you and and you don't feel like you may have the, the support system around you that other people have and at the same time to to realize there's uh, so many things that he's given uh, to your life in a unique way. It may not be music, it, it, it could be in many other areas, but just find that thing in your life that resonates, that brings you joy, that brings you peace, that brings you fulfillment. But when I say that God has a purpose for your life, it's not something that I read in a book. It's not something that I heard from somebody else's story. It's something that's happened to me personally. Mm. And I just, I just want to let people know that they don't have to live in discouragement and they don't have to live in fear and they don't have to live in, in, at, at a place where um, they have no hope. Yes. You're so real when you talk about this stuff. When you talk, you're, you give a vulnerability to others that I think sometimes thirst to be like, I can connect with Kim. But when you talk about that discouragement and you talk about, you know, in cases of I think every artist I've battled with all sorts of those feelings of, well, you know, the support system just isn't there or a negative feedback loop in the industry. What do you say to those people that, especially those in the creative field, whether it's, again, I've said this before, writing your first book or coming out with an album or pursuing that passion how do you fight through that? What is your way to fight through it when discouragement knocks on your door? I think there's a couple of ways. Uh, one of them is to uh, realize that there's many uh, definitions of success, and especially in the music uh, arena, that success doesn't always mean you know selling millions of albums or being on television shows or, or being on tours. Or uh, success means that that you found the direction that that God has purposed in, in your life. Mm. And uh, no matter, uh, you know, how, how uh, limited you think that is, that, that the power of God can speak to that, uh, that gift, that gifting. And it can inspire, it can uh, lift other people, it can um, 
you know, communicate God's love, uh, God's love, even if you think it's not enough. Uh, I mean, I looked at many other uh, pianists that are technically uh, much more um, uh, gifted in my mind um, that can do, uh, you know, many other uh, styles of, of music that, that, you know, that can, uh, they can, they can play in, in any arena. And I think, well, how, why would God choose to use me with uh, with the limited uh, tools that I have? And uh, I was this this is just to relay a short story. I was I was on a tour, and I was speaking on behalf of Holt, and the director of the tour knew that I could play the piano, but uh, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to play the piano. It was. Uh, during the Christmas portion of the tour, and we were in Lakeland, Florida, and there was about five thousand people there. <laughs> and and he he came up to me and he says, "Well, he says uh, we have about ten or twelve minutes before um, the program starts. Do you, would you like to play something?" Well, yeah, I'll play something. He goes, "Well, what are you going to play?" And I says, uh, "I'm going to play Silent Night." Oh, <laughs> and wow. then he immediately said, "He says what?" Uh, he says, "Wait, you're going to play twelve minutes of Silent Night?" He says, "I don't want the people to go to sleep." I'm going to play Silent Night, I'll play some other Christmas songs, but I'm just, you know, do a medley and, and weep, you know, through a few, few, through a few songs. And, and I said, uh, Eddie was his name. I said, Eddie, I said, this, this is how I, this is how I, I see this. I said, I'm like the little drummer boy. I have one drum. Huh. I said, I wish I had all the other drums. I have one drum. I said, all I can do is take my one drum and place it before the Lord and ask Him to bless it. So I, I went up and I, I went on stage and I played my 12 minutes. And um, the response was so uh, positive uh, that He had me play for the rest of the tour. Amazing. And sometimes I think you, you, you can't be shy. And I, I think a lot of people uh, crumble under fear, yes. uh, under fear of not being good enough, under fear of uh, not thinking that their style fits a certain situation. You know, most of the time going into most situations, I feel completely inadequate. And, mm. and in, in my own strength and my own ability and my own, uh, in my own mind, I, I feel completely inadequate. But I've learned, um, again, that God will, um, allow His, the power of His Spirit to work through that situation to give you more confidence. Um, and trusting him and to allow you to be successful. Um, I mean, there's been, there's been so many times in my life where I thought this isn't, this shouldn't even be possible. Um, you know, I felt I've been, I've been allowed, allowed, I've been asked to teach at two colleges. I, I don't have a college degree. And I know, uh, several friends of mine that wanted to teach, um, but weren't allowed to. And so, you know, there's just certain, situations that I know it has to be, well, I mean, not, I know not certain situations, all situations where I know that, that it has to be through the power of God um, that allows me to move forward. So even during that, feelings of inadequacy, again, which I think all people have at some point, whether it's their career or passion, even during that time, it sounds like that you that you surrender to it, that you're honest with it. And in surrendering something even greater happens out of that. That is, that is so well um, said, 
That, that's exactly right. Uh, I would say 100% of the time, I don't feel uh, prepared mm. uh, for the situation. I mean, I'll prepare as much as I can. Right. Um, I would I would say that when God gives you opportunities, and a lot of a lot of times He challenge He gives you an opportunity in an area that addresses one of your greatest fears. A lot of times people say, well, God doesn't give me opportunities. And I think he does give people opportunities, but they say, that must not be God's will for my life because he wouldn't, he wouldn't have me do that because that's something he knows that I, that I'm, I can't do or I'm too afraid to do. Mm. And um, I think once people accept the fact that they can rely and trust in God's leading them in their life, um, they start they start realizing that, you know, once they accept the challenge or once they accept the opportunity and they see God moving through that situation, um, it gives them a lot more courage. It gives them a lot more um, clarity uh, to make the next decision and to have a lot more faith that when he opens the door of opportunity, that he will will be there to allow you to be, um, not just to make it through, but to be uh, extremely and incredibly successful through that situation. Uh, eventually, I ended up on, on a tour called the Winter Jam Tour, and it's it's the, actually the world's largest tour for its time of the year. And <laughs> right now, they're on tour. They're doing about 50 cities, and they'll have between 10 to 20,000 people a night. And uh, when I was on tour with Toby Mac, I was, I was with him the night he won his individual Grammy Award. <clears throat> And uh, I was backstage and they were all celebrating. And I realized I was on that tour to share my testimony. Um, they did have my CD available uh, as a gift for people who, spot, who would sponsor um, orphan children. But that wasn't my main purpose. My main purpose was to speak and to share my story. And, and I thought to myself, I'm surrounded by everything that I ever wanted to be, all these successful musicians you know, uh, winning Grammy Awards and, and being on a tour. And, and, uh, and you know, God has me speaking. <laughs> and I realized that I was surrounded by everything I ever wanted to be. And yet, um, I wasn't doing that. I was, I was doing something else. And again, I just, I just say that God can use your life in any way uh, possible as long as you're open to allow Him to, to direct like you said, you're surrounded by these folks that are winning these Grammy Awards, and, and you are. You're one of these, you know, in in everyone's mind, you are at where so many musicians want to be, and yet you recognize that this is just a platform for even something greater of a greater message that maybe necessarily you couldn't have planned for. No, no possible way. No possible way I could have ever planned for that. In fact, uh, I would say public speaking would be w- would have been the top of my list as, as far as greatest fears in my life. <laughs> Kim, tell us a little bit about the songs that you've written. The ones that I've written, um, I did just for fun, just to be creative, yeah. just you know to to to. to uh, exercise creativity in, in something other than arranging, you know, songs that have already been written. Uh, but I have a, an all-original CD called um, New Beginnings. And most of those songs, I'd say uh, uh, probably 60 or 70 of those 
pieces uh, were recorded pretty much the first time through. Um, wow. I would just let the I would just put it on record, and um, you know I may come up with like a little you know a few notes of an idea, and then I hit the record button, and I would just play it. It would be recorded the first time through, and. I would think, well, I'll get that idea down and I'll come back and I'll refine it or I'll, you know, play it again and yeah. make it better. And a lot of times, I'd say most of the time, I'd go back and I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't play it better. You know, I mean, it wasn't perfect, right. but there's really nothing that I could have, you know, that I, I could do that, would, that I would like better. So I think sometimes it's just allowing the inspiration to just flow through and, and having the ability to, to uh, capture it. You know, as you mentioned earlier, that you've felt this music in your heart since day one, and even as you write, it, it sounds like you use that same truth and, and that same, um, you give it the proper, the proper attention to let it, to let it produce. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, sensitivity, it's a uh, vulnerability, it's a, uh, um, Kind of just a, a releasing your your mind. The first CD I, I, I recorded, I didn't record as an actual project to be released. I actually just recorded it as a personal uh, worship mm. uh, time. And I thought, you know, there's some there's some songs that I, that I really love, and I'm I'm just going to record these as my own personal worship. And and I think for me, it's given me a lot of peace knowing that I don't have to strive to try to make it in the industry oh, that yeah. that if that if it's only uh the only purpose for for this passion is to um is to worship god um i'm i'm happy with that and so i did it as as my own personal worship time and uh somebody heard it and they said well you know i'd like to i'd like to hand these out to my employees uh can you know do, do you have some cds and so that's how that first project uh, even became a project. Uh, I think a lot of times, you know, composers struggle with the, you know, creating something that maybe the mass ears want to hear as opposed to creating something that they truly just let flow through them. What, what would your advice be to, to any composer out there as they, as they struggle with that? I say, um, just be true to your heart. Don't try to copy somebody else. Just allow your own uh, individuality to come through. Um, people always try to strive to find their own style or their own, uh, you know, like you said, um, do something that they think will catch on. That you know, they can get a million YouTube hits or whatever. Um, that that first CD was again my own, my just my personal worship uh, time. And it, it, it's kind of interesting that about a couple of years later, um, I, I, I'd gotten a call from the marketing director at Curb Records, and he said, "You got to see this article." And it was in the uh, one of the country magazines, and uh, it was this lady in Nashville, and um, Sheila Shipley, and she had been on the marketing and promotions te promotions team that had launched 135 number one records in country music. <laughs> wow. 135. She was the first female to ever ha uh, had a major uh, um, record label in Nashville. They were interviewing her about her uh, musical influences and the things that, she, you know, that, that inspired her life. And 
she, you know, she talked about signing Alabama and leave uh, you know, Elvis and the Beatles and all this, all these other people that, you know, that she had in her life. And then they, and they were finishing up the interview and they said, you know, what, what CD do you play incessantly? That was the exact quote. And I almost fell off my chair because in the article it said, uh, well, he's an independent uh, piano artist and his name is Kim Deirdre. No way. You know, you never know where your music will go. You just, you never know what impact on somebody's life it will have. You just never know. Here, you know, you just gave an example of someone that has worked with the best, the very best in the industry, and her inspiration came from you. The seeds you plant in your life, you never know. You never know how that's going to affect somebody. Yeah, and and never be discouraged and think that, that you're not, that, that your music isn't going to the places you think it should go. Mm. Um, I, I just partnered with a, a ministry out of Florida, and it's probably one of the most exciting things that I feel like I've ever personally done. They, they do uh, audio Bibles, and the way they do the audio Bibles is they have this little um, they have this little player, this audio player, and it's solar powered. And so these Bibles are in the native language of what, whatever country they 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 ship these little units to, <laughs> and um, and they said you know. Um, we just shipped some of our, uh, our units to, uh, you know, to China, North Korea. I said, well, how do you get them into North Korea? You know, the Bibles. And, and, and he says, well, we, you know, when they, if they ever play the unit, it comes up with music. And I says, well, well, how much music do you have? And he says, well, we don't have very much music because, you know, most people want royalties, you know, for us to, for us to use the music. I said, I would be thrilled if you would include some of my music on your audio uh, Bibles. Wow. And so they sent me a unit um, a few months ago, and they said, you know, we're, these are going into Syria. So, you know, this little piano music that I produced in my bedroom in the, in the uh, you know, in the um, solitude of, of one room, um, it's now going to Syria. I, I just, I, I just want to encourage people to just... Um, just be, just have a heart of contentment. Um, again, you know, I think the harder people strive to try to make it in an industry, uh, it just it brings a lot more stress into their lives. Um, somebody told me something about 20 years ago that really changed the course of my uh, thinking. And they basically said, you know, uh, with God, there's no missed opportunities. Um, I used to think, well, if I don't, if I didn't go to this function, and I didn't talk to this person, or I didn't hand my CD to this guy or this lady, and you know, uh, I didn't take this meeting, and I missed a chance to talk to so and so, and I would just, I'd beat myself up about it and think, wow, I really missed that opportunity, mm-hmm. or you know, the times when you had a chance, your 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 song is being considered, you know, at a at a national level for yeah. some. some Something and it, and it just doesn't work out, you know. Some, something happens and it just doesn't work out. And I used to just get so discouraged 
said, uh, uh, you know, I just feel depressed mm. until I until I realized that, you know, if you're allowing God to lead your life, there are no missed opportunities. And that's just given me so much peace and comfort to know I don't have to worry about missing an opportunity. It's just as as you say that, it's like a it's like you can almost feel a burden lift off your shoulders. I mean, when I first released an album years and years ago, I would I'd be like, Oh, I gotta get this album in this person's hands. Oh, oh no, this person knows this person who knows this person. Maybe if I do this, 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 it, they'll get that album to them and maybe they'll call me or all those just crazy three, four degrees of separation that you can conjure up in your head, you know, at a young age, because that's a lot of times that's what you're, you're taught, you know, you're taught like, I, right. I've got to know the right person or I've got to know this. And so much of what you say goes against that mainstream thought, but it allows the musician to be him or herself. Well, you're right. It goes completely contradictory towards um, the natural uh, industry, the natural thought. And, you know, people always say it's, it's who you know. And I just encourage people to know, to know God, because God knows everybody. And he can just say, just like Joseph, you know, he took Joseph out of a prison and, and, you know, the next day he's, he's the second highest ruler in, in the most powerful nation on earth. You know, God can take you from somewhere lowly to somewhere exalted immediately. You know, and so I think another thing that I've learned is, is how to wait and how to be patient for God's leading and not to be discouraged when you see all your friends passing you by. And, you know, I've had friends of mine who win Grammy Awards and be recognized in the industry in, in you know, tremendous ways. And, and not, to, not to feel discouraged about that, that God can move, that God can move you from, from a, a humble situation to an exalted situation immediately. Um, I was sitting in my room in, in, in July and uh, I was freelance, you know, I was doing freelance audio and music and things had kind of dried up and I was, I was having a hard time financially. And I had, I, I had prayed to God for clarity and I had uh, taken my business card and it had, you know, a bunch of different things on it. It had you know, composer, producer, engineer, mixer, mastering you know, uh, pianist, all these different things on it. And um, I had just started getting invited to speak. My, my little story on YouTube had, had uh, got, gotten uh, people contacting me from all over the world. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I think I want to be able to share my testimony and I want to be able to share my music. And so I put two things on my business card, pianist and speaker. And I was, sit I was sitting in my room and I was, two months behind on all my bills and I got a call to uh, to volunteer for the Holt International uh, table at an event at Gal in Gatlinburg in three weeks and uh, I realized I didn't even have the money for gas to drive from Nashville to, to Knoxville oh my gosh or to, Gatlin to Gatlinburg and you know for two weeks I prayed about it and about a few days before I was supposed to let them know I, e I emailed uh, one of the 
uh, people at Hulk, and she FedExed the check to me uh, for $200, and I drove my little car over there, and I sat behind the table, and, and I uh, was there to help, you know, sign up people that wanted to spot, sponsor a, a orphan children, and the, the director of the event said, hey, uh, would you mind, would you uh, be uh, willing to share your testimony in the morning and during the appeal? And I said, yes. So I met him at 10 o'clock in the morning and we walked backstage. And, and I was walking backstage. We, uh, he opened the window and there was about 6,000 people sitting there. And, uh, and uh, we walked backstage and, and he was asking me, you know, what I was doing. And I said, well, I think I feel like God's... Uh, Giving me, giving me more opportunities to share my testimony. He goes, and I said, I bought some CDs. He goes, oh, you bought some CDs? He goes, what if we offer some of your CDs as a premium gift for people that, you know, sponsored children? And I, and I had like a hundred, had like a hundred CDs left. Yeah. And I just, I had just walked through a room where all the artists and, and speakers uh, had tables and there were literally stacks of cash on the table. And I was, two months behind on all my bills. Oh, and I thought, well, how's, how is this going to work? You know? And so, um, uh, I got up on stage and I, and I realized before I shared my testimony, these were older people and my, my little video had small words. And I thought they're, not gonna, they're never going to be able to see these words. <laughs> so I, I, t- I told the, the director of the event, I said, you know, I think I'm going to narrate this. He goes, have you ever done that before? And I go, no, I said, I, I've never done it before, but I think it might work. And, and I was just praying that God would help me through it. And I was terrified. I stood on stage. The Spirit of God was so powerful. They had, uh, that I finished uh, sharing my testimony. They had record number of sponsorships for that weekend. And the, the director of the event um, came to me the next day and he says, um, he says, I want you to go on, on, on tour with us. And that started a 73 city tour over the next six and a half months. Oh, wow. And it ended up with the Winter Jam Tour, and I was, you know, speaking in front of up to over 20,000 people a night. Unbelievable. My message to people that want to do this stuff full time is it is a sacrifice, and it is, it's me getting into my 2000 model Honda with 190,000 miles on it, and and because I don't have car payments, those are the little sacrifices that so many people don't understand what people like yeah. you, and this is something that I do early in the mornings, late at night, and you That's know right. you know so well that um, struggle and that the reality of that. And, and I just bought a 2005 Scion XD with 160,000 miles on it. So, you know, <laughs> awesome. I, love that car. Just, I have to tell you, I love that car. Oh, I love it. You know, something that gets you from point A to point B and it's not gobbling up your savings account, man. There's a oh, beauty in that. Oh, my goodness. It is just <laughs> wonderful. I, I can't even tell you how much I love that car. We're both driving 10 plus year old vehicles, man. I We just bought my wife a car. It's a 2003 oh. uh, Mazda Miata. Her, her last Miata had. 255,000 miles on it. Don't tease, man. That just sounds too good. That just sounds too good. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. How much does gratitude play a part of your life, Kim? I think it's almost everything. I think it's almost everything because, you know, know, I have people tell me, and I've had many people tell me that, you know, I have had a choice to be bitter, and I had a choice to be... uh, 
negative about some of the things that I've gone through, yes. especially as a child. You know, and I had and I had a reason to to come out in life and, and have a big huge chip on my shoulder. I think gratitude is everything because it it puts you in a position of knowing where your power comes from. You know, when you know that God supplies everything and you're grateful for every little thing that comes your way, it changes the whole way you live. It changes the whole way you look at life. It changes the way you look at other people. It changes the way that you look at, look at your gifting. I think the happiest people are the most gracious people, the, mo the people that have the most gratitude for, for acknowledging uh, you know, the, the provisions of God in their life. That's one of the powerful things about your story is that if people can can hear you and hear your story and, and hear how you overcame that bitterness, that negativity, because if anyone has an excuse, it would be you. You, I love what you said about the choice, the choice that you've made. That is a choice that has made all the difference in your life. And if you can do that, if, if you can do that from your beginning, I, I certainly can do the same thing. And everyone else that has a passion, they have that choice too. And so I, I just thank you for being a living example of that. I, I so appreciate that, Matthew. I so appreciate you, your willingness to, um, to be able to share my story. I just so appreciate your heart. I just... I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for your honesty and your vulnerability and your, um, yeah, just your time, man. So, all right. I feel the same way. Sorry, <laughs> Matthew. All right. Thanks, Kim. All right. Thank you for listening to the Going Solo podcast. This is Matthew Mayer. For more of Kim's story, please go to goingsolo.me. That's www.goingsolo.me. You can also watch the short video that he was referring to in the interview. Thanks so much for your support. We'll see you at www.goingsolo.me.